The Canby Report was produced and recorded on the traditional and unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Quequitlam peoples. It's November 11th, 2022, and there are 1,436 days left until the Vancouver municipal elections. This is the Camby Report. I'm Matthew Naylor. I'm Ian Bushfield. Welcome back. We had our post-election debrief. We took a little bit of rest, let councils across the province get inaugurated, sworn in, and now we're off to a new season. We are. Welcome to season three of the Camby Report, I guess. Yeah, who's counting? Sure, that's how, you know what, that's how we're going to count it now. It's season three. <laughs> it is a time of transition in Vancouver municipal politics, as with politics uh, in municipal governments elsewhere in British Columbia, as the new councils have just taken over. Ken Sim is doing his first public appearances as mayor, laying the wreath for the city at Victory Square and such and such. And so we begin this new season with you, uh, looking forward into our bright ABC-colored future. Still to be determined what that looks like, but we'll only be able to tell you those stories with your continuing support. Go to patreon.com slash report. Get on there. Yes, patreon.com slash report. <laughs> patreon.com slash report. One of the things we really want to highlight is how good the Slack channel is. A couple, I asked patrons in there, like, what do you like about supporting the show? And they were like, I don't think people understand what this is. And as we watch Twitter explode hilariously, the idea of having positive social networks, uh, feels foreign but it's real we have a positive social network of vancouver politics nerds who just like talking about the city we could have as well as provincial and federal politics and all other aspects so that's what that is basically and so if you want to be part of such a community and get all the scintillating updates on all things like in boot media please join us at patreon.com slash report Times of transition have beginnings and endings for Ken Sim, a new chance to shape the city that he desperately wanted to leave four years ago and came just so short of. For Kennedy Stewart, the departure from his time at City Hall and also Twitter. Yeah, he has fully deleted his account, which I looked at. I, like, I don't blame him. Uh, like, he's can recede from the public eye. No. He can go back to being a university professor and working at that full-time gig that he had before he went to political office, first federally and now municipally. And when you look at some of the replies he was getting, it was just like, you'll go down as the worst mayor in Vancouver history. And it's like, you probably don't need that. And it's probably not true. It's probably not true. Like, I don't think he's going to rank top 10 anytime soon, but <laughs> he wasn't bad actively. 
he wasn't overtly corrupt like many were. Yeah. He perhaps wasn't the most effective mayor, but like many of our recent mayors haven't been super effective. Like, also, Twitter blows and it's imploding upon itself. So, like, no criticism to someone who decides that now is the time to opt out. All I hope city archives have a copy of his tweets from his time in office. Speaking of mayors on the way out, Doug McCallum on his own going to court this past Ooh. week, the city potentially cut off his financial support for his legal battle. Why they were giving it to him in the first place? Quite a bit of a question to me, but... And we've just had a string of headlines all week as both he and Crown have presented their arguments as to whether he purposefully misled the public and deserves to be charged with public mischief. And it is absolutely hits on, hits on, hits. So, basically, the person who... Doug McCallum committed mischief around. I, I don't really know how to phrase it otherwise. Debbie Johnstone, who is a elderly woman with a bronzed visage and snow white poof of hair that drives an open top Mustang. She testified in the court saying that no, she did not in fact run over Doug McCallum's foot. And Talked a little bit about the altercation that they had verbally prior to the alleged foot running over slash thing that was invented by Doug McCallum in order to uh, deceive the RCB into investigating one of his constituents. She described them as unpleasantries and a heated debate. I ju we just have to quote her. She says, his face is kind of peely and scaly, so I made reference to him a, having a scaly face. I called him a scaly-faced motherfucker. She said, resign, McCallum. She also claimed that McCallum came toward her and stood on a small embankment by a shrub. <laughs> they went after each other. This is from the CBC story on the matter. I told him that he was the worst mayor that Surrey ever, ha ever had. I told him he was mean-spirited. I told him he was a liar. Apparently, he said back to her at some point she had a big, loud mouth and that she was no good for Surrey. At that point, she was asked by someone in the courtroom whether she had called him a shithead, to which she responded, oh, probably. It's all fair, right? It's, it's not a crime. And it also doesn't justify anything. So it's just no. like delightful color to this story. No, it's just very funny. The woman's under oath. She asked to tell the truth. <laughs> and honestly, she looks kind of gleeful be to be doing so. You're allowed to yell at your public officials. It's one of the great joys that we have living in a free society. And so if you're going to run for public office, unfortunately, sometimes you just got to put up with some shit, including like the woman in the Mustang convertible yelling that you're a shithead. So she maintains that she did not intend to, nor even come close to his foot as she drove away. Uh, he, on the other hand, brought in couple doctors to try to testify that his foot did maybe look swollen at one point after and maybe had another kind of injury even though these doctors weren't necessarily the ones who saw him uh it was pointed out that he waited over two hours after the alleged incident to call 911 which included finishing shopping at Savon. <laughs> like what the fuck are you doing like wait you're you're 
they have video of this. There is video. Like no one, no one's going to deep fake this. Like there is no conspiracy of the employees of save on foods to deep fake a situation where a woman opened up Mustang doesn't run over the mayor's foot. Like no, no one's doing that. (laughs) And like, what does he think is going to be the outcome of this? He clearly didn't have his foot run over, testifying that his foot was a little swollen and that he, what, forgot? Forgot that his foot hadn't been run over? What What the fuck is he talking about? We did get to have a picture of his foot included as evidence in the trial, which, if you're into feet pics... Amazing. <laughs> You don't need to go to Doug McCallum's OnlyFans for that shit now. <laughs> oh my god. And with that horrifying image uh, seared into our consciousnesses, let's move on. The verdict is expected on the week of November 21st, so we'll, in a couple weeks we'll probably know the end result. In other stirring news and other followed from the McCallum loss on election night, there has been a survey of the Surrey police respecting whether they would be interested in returning to the RCMP or becoming RCMP officers if they hadn't been before. Yeah, the city is currently working on its plan to submit to the province because Mike Farnworth has said, fine, you want to go back to the RCMP? Give us a plan that's not shit. And they're like, we'll do that by the end of the year. And it's like, that feels rushed, but go for it. Uh, Union president, of uh, the Surrey Police Union, Rick Stewart has said that 275 of the 295 frontline officers they have employed already with Surrey Police Service have signed a pledge saying they have no intention to apply nor join any RCMP detachment, specifically noting that the work culture at the RCMP is, quote, toxic. <laughs> oh, dear. That, that sucks. Like, I don't really have a dog. Like, it's not wrong. You can do a very quick like google news search of stories from the last year or two of rcmp like workplace harassment and it's bad everywhere yeah it's it seems like a terrible place to work it seems like a institution that kind of has rotted from the inside out and also maybe outside in like i have there's a lot of problems there's a lot of problems and yeah, I don't, I don't blame people for not wanting to work there. It just sucks that that is the current situation and it doesn't even bear particular amounts of investigation to, like, think that that is absolutely 100% true. Will they go back? I Honestly, I doubt it. It's a mess right now. Maybe what they'll ultimately try to find is some kind of path. Like, I think they're, the ideal hope for Locke right now would be that David Eby takes up the police act reform recommendations of establishing a regional police force that then replaces both and they can go look we don't have surrey police we have south fraser police now and it's better because it's not what doug mccallum wanted that that would be the most sensible option i just don't really understand having a dog in this fight like I, i understand for the officers who work there it's just like this was such an animating issue in the surrey elections and I don't really get why. Like, do you care who is policing you so long as you are being policed? They're providing a service, right? It was such a personality-driven debate where you had, like, 
Doug McCallum's, we see it in that trial, right? Between Doug McCallum yelling and screaming and filing police charges alleging he got his foot ran over and the kind of people who are screaming that he's a scaly-faced motherfucker, Adam. Yeah. Neither of them seem like they're wholly ready for a coherent, rational debate, Matt. No, they don't. And, like, I think Brenda Locke, like, latched onto the Surrey police issue as more of a, like, wedge rather than, like, it being the animating issue of her campaign, even though it, like, kind of showed as a centerpiece of her campaign. Because, really, her campaign was about values, like, not having your mayor be a lying, scaly-faced oh. motherfucker and instead be anyone else. Though apparently not convicted tax cheats soup Dollywall. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that the National Police Federation, the union of the RCMP, has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars advertising and fighting and lobbying to keep their presence in Surrey. And I am reticent to discount the effect that that has had because there isn't on the other side, really a push of like, we love the Surrey police. It was McCallum's child. And if you didn't like him, which more than 70% of Surrey residents didn't, uh, you, there was no push for it. No, but like now that it's happened, is it worth going back? No. It, like, yeah, that, that is the answer. No, it's absolutely not. And like, just make the best of it. Honestly, say that you got in and found it was a fait accompli and you're going to make the best of it. Sightsee it. Well, if they do manage to go back to the RCMP and those Surrey police officers, those 275 of them need to find somewhere to work, maybe some of them will end up in Vancouver as Ken Sim starts hiring his 100 police officers and we'll get back to the how that's supposed to happen later. But while we're talking about the Vancouver police, they had some headlines this week as they tried to audit the spending on social services in Vancouver. <laughs> I can't even really say what they tried to do because they fucked it up so bad. It's embarrassing it's, for everyone involved. It's a hilarious embarrassment. It's like presenting like have you ever had if you're going to like a potluck or something your dish that you were going to do just fail? Like it just didn't work out pie didn't set you burnt the meat or whatever vegetables came out raw and you were have to get going anyway like something something goes wrong and you just are forced to either pick up something from the 7-eleven on the way there or bring this monument to your failure to a like inspection of all your friends it's basically what I feel this must have been like, at least maybe not in a, like even self-aware sense, but that's what the Vancouver police have done. They have taken this failure of a product and presented it for public inspection, a product that admits its own failure. It's the nailed it of public accountability reports where, you know, you have this vision of what it should look like and what you produced is the kindergarten version. Yeah, this thing was bad. So, basically, a Calgary consulting company was hired by the Vancouver Police Department to audit the 
charitable activity and public money that was going to fund social service organizations in the downtown east side. They said that roughly $5 billion was being spent on the downtown east side, and there was very little to show for it. That $5 billion, which, to Rob Shaw's credit, you should you should absolutely go read the Business in Vancouver article about this that he authored, but they compared this $5 billion to, like, the funding to UBC and SFU, or the funding NASA spends on the International Space Station. It, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's totally irrelevant. It argued that that $5 billion was being wasted. But like in calculating that number, they basically took all the social security, like social assistance, pension plan payments to everyone in Vancouver, because the office is headquartered there, lumped that in inside that number. They took every charity that was headquartered in like the northeastern side of downtown, lumped that in there. It was an absolute hash of a report. To be clear, like the, the, I think it's Burnaby search and rescue is included in there. Yes. Just to really emphasize that, like things that have nothing to do with what they're purporting to the UBC hospital foundation spending got included and, in there. And, uh, the legal services society, which does all legal aid for all of BC. Uh, it's the, the urban horse project society. Call back to our question. What somebody think of the horses? <laughs> that money is being wasted on poor people in the downtown east side. That was basically the tenor of this report. They argued, basically without merit, that this was a huge waste of money, and basically no one has taken it seriously, including the mayor. That their endorsement did a substantial part in electing Ken Sim said that, quote, there are questions that we really need to ask before we can make any definitive comments as to the effectiveness of what's going on at the city of Vancouver, and we really need to understand where they're getting their numbers from, unquote. No one believed this. Well, I shouldn't say no one. Kevin Falcon, BC Liberal That's leader, true. Uh, uh, actually, I don't think he believed. Initially let's, was like, let's be honest, he, 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 he latched onto the headline yeah. number, at least to try to say things should be shaken up. Meanwhile, when like Ken Sim showed political intelligence, or at least like the base level, like don't latch on to something that is completely uncredible, even if it potentially supports your own, you know, political projects. So first bar stepped over by Ken Sim, not quite by Kevin Falcon, which I would have thought the other way. Yeah, like... I don't know. Sometimes I feel when you're opposition leader, like someone just like walks into your room in the morning and just hits you with a stupid hammer and, and you just don't, don't like totally understand people anymore. Like this is a, a symptom of both parties. I feel like they, they get, they get like all caught up in what's going on in the legislature and not really understanding how, this is going to be perceived. It's really weird. Coming back to the study, like it follows a similar one that was done in Edmonton a year or two ago. And that one, I think, was taken a little bit more seriously. It had, uh, it came up with a $7 billion figure at the time. Oof. 
Edmonton is slightly more people than the city of Vancouver. True enough. Um, but in either case, like the argument was weirdly that like all this money is being spent on a social safety net. It could be spent on the cops instead. Yeah. And it, it like doesn't even really logically follow through that they would be any better at it. And so Adam Palmer, the chief still went through with his press conference and it was actually quite incredible to see just like the breadth of Vancouver journalists. Cause not all Vancouver journalists are like raging lefties. Rob Shaw isn't, no. uh, not that he's like a far righty anyway, but you know, he's like the epitome of mainstream political coverage in this province. And he just saw right through this and he's like, this is crap and embarrassing. And that's pretty much what the consensus came down fast. And easy, simple questions for the chief of police about like, what is this about went poorly answered by him. We did learn that it cost $150,000 to produce, which could have been spent in many other ways. Basically, the cops are saying with this report, stop spending money on the children's hospital, Burnaby housing, horses, and the Canadian pension plan and spend it on us instead. Thank you very much. And everyone laughed at them. Everyone did. While we're in the downtown east side, there was a big shift as provincially as incoming Premier David Eby has announced the province is just going to take over the downtown east side, or at least the coordination of services and, you know, managing the crises that are ongoing. So they will work with the city of Vancouver, police department, court systems, and social service providers to try to finally move towards better options and better solutions for everyone involved. I think this is from a prospect as a, you know, human, a good idea. Like everything that has been going on right now is a symptom of the fact that the city itself doesn't have the resources or tools to be able to take a fully coordinated approach, including getting many of these people homes. But because this is a localized problem of a province-wide phenomenon, the city has been left to deal with it. The province absolutely should be taking the lead here. From a political standpoint, what a gift to Ken Sim. Like, oh, the thing that you, like, rode to victory on is now literally being taken out of your hands. And so you have no accountability for what's going to happen here so long as you play along with what the province is doing. And that's pretty easy for the most part, right? Uh, here in the Global News article, David Eby says, I don't support encampments. They're not solutions to homelessness. They're not safe. He doesn't really say what he does believe in. So we'll have to see what this goes means going forward. It does put a lot more spotlight on the province and the new premier, but credit to EB. This is the right thing to do, as you say, and too bad for Kennedy Stewart. This didn't happen three months ago, but I guess John Horgan didn't have the concern for Vancouver that I guess David EB personally does. Maybe. I don't it, know. It is nice. I will say it's nice to be represented by someone from Vancouver again, like have the premier be from Vancouver. It's good. Like we haven't had this in Campbell and it's the same writing. <laughs> Christy Clark tried to represent that writing. Well, nope. We said, nope. 
center to Kelowna, but I think that was probably Vancouver's loss, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. In other visions for the future of Vancouver, the Daily Hive has created a thing. Yeah, the owner of Daily Hive, Karm Sumo, and one of their main writers, Kenneth Chan, came together to draw up a list of 26 things that should happen in the city over the next four years. And I think this is really notable as throughout the election, even going back to the founding of ABC, Daily Hive was right there through all of it. Like ABC announced in an editorial front page on Daily Hive. And they had a number of those kind of editorials throughout the election and generally got positive coverage. Like Daily Hive was pretty friendly with ABC and Ken Sim. I think Karm Sumo even like said, I'm going to vote for Ken Sim on Twitter, which fine, no judgment. We're open about where we stand as well. But this kind of just says to me that these 26 things that they list might actually happen since ABC has a lot of power now. It's it's a list. It's a list. It's like many of the things in here are not bad. A bunch of the things I will class into the not actively harmful bucket, especially since they are basically, please approve this project and let private money do it. Some of them are bad, not many, but a few. And like one or two are are actively helpful. But the general tenor of this list is how could we turn Vancouver into a resort city for rich people and tourists? Yeah, I think my first read of it was how do we make downtown cool for millennial hipsters? Like there yeah, should be that's a hundred percent and more entertainment zones. And that like But like I agree. It's kind of, yeah. Sure. Neither of us we like that. We're the target market for that. Like number one off the top, legalized drinking in public spaces, allow more patios. There's a lot of placemaking, including Chinatown, International Village, the Punjabi market. That's like the one the Punjabi market and commercial drive are the one couple times they go out of downtown. Like everything else is downtown. Commercial drive vision, I actually like. They want wider sidewalks there. No bike lane, but at least like a more pedestrian friendly. There's a lot of pedestrian friendly areas in this too. Yeah, the water street pedestrianization, not a bad idea. I think that's pretty cool. Like encouraging more post-secondary institutions to open at downtown Vancouver. Eh, don't really care. I guess it doesn't really matter. Downtown Vancouver is already like pretty substantially a luxury district anyway. And so, like, just saying, please make our luxury district more deluxe is, like, neither here nor there for me. What I think it, it fails at is understanding that, like, Vancouver's problems with its bar culture and nightlife are not a strictly downtown problem. There should be more places to drink, small bars, small one-storefront-sized bars available across the city and be easier to open. It also doesn't really address any of the crises facing the city. There's no, nope, like that's not almost nothing in here about housing. The only thing that comes close is like, make sure the Broadway line 
is dense around it. Which, I mean, like, if you do, that does solve a bunch, but yeah. uh, it, it is shockingly vague about it. Maybe there'll be houses in the Vancouver sign they pitch. Maybe people can live in there. So, yes, they have, they have pitched a giant le- block letter sign for Vancouver, which I think is very pedestrian and boring. When and- I first read the headline of it and the text... Before I saw the picture, I was picturing a Hollywood level sign, like put Vancouver on the North Shore Mountain or something like, or even on somewhere super visible. So we could be like, this is Vancouver. Uh, no, they want like one of those mediocre, they're fine kind of like block letter texts that's eight, 10 feet tall and in a popular pedestrian area where you just take your quick Instagram with and then you move on. Toronto has one. Amsterdam has one. There are quite a few around the world. My one thought about this, and perhaps someone could email at gmail.com about this, but does anyone know whether you could encase neon lights, like the glass of neon lights, inside epoxy resin and not have them like blow up or become ineffective? Anyway, please, if you're, if you're at all knowledgeable about that just let us know and that's all i have to say about that (laughs) they would also move the east van cross just for fun sure i think it should be in a more instagram location okay opinions may vary Uh, i don't think that's a priority for anything no Uh, but on the harmful side they want to keep the viaducts up yeah that's just dumb like get rid of them they're not good like they don't actually increase the ability to get through the area by that much and they present a huge like physical barrier to getting into downtown that makes this area very cut off from the rest of of its surrounding community it's just they, they don't need to be there, and the place could be better without them. So just get rid of them. Their argument is it would be slightly cheaper to just seismically upgrade them, or significantly cheaper to just seismically upgrade them, and you could just build towers right against them, which sounds miserable to live at that You could. I live well. in one of those towers. I literally live in one of those towers. But, like, it's fine. It's not bad, but... Like, there could be so much... For, for a publication that is apparently so concerned about placemaking, like, try and make the place, right? This is going to be a showcase district of Vancouver. It's right on the shore of, shores of False Creek. You're, there's going to be a huge amount of development just south of there in a moment. Don't have a big stupid viaduct in the way. Put, create a nice place. Well, and this suggestion comes off Sarah Kirby Young speaking with Global News that she kind of agrees with this idea that maybe there should be a rethink of the removal and global gets Pete Fry from the greens to also say, you know, we, we could take a second look at this and they start talking about the new St. Paul's hospital that'll be up against it and the need for traffic flow to that. And it's really frustrating all of this. And in all of this, no one mentions that revitalizing Hogan's alley is a big promise of removing these. 
and to not remove it means to stab the black community of Vancouver in the back again, among other things. That- yeah, it, it's an idea that blows. Uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't back down from the plans that we have. It would make a much better community. It will make a better city. It'll be a more integrated downtown. Just do it. Don't undo a good thing just for the sake of undoing something. Moving along. Let's look ahead to the council meeting that's coming up. I didn't see anything notable in terms of rezonings or public hearings happening. So what's most interesting are the first motions coming from these newly elected councillors. Five motions all coming from ABC councillors, I guess, the Greens and Boyle are still trying to figure out where to situate themselves. Sarah Kirby Young has her name on two motions, one to adopt the IHRA International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance working definition of anti-Semitism. This is a controversial one that failed in the previous round as the progressives lined up against it. I think it's going to sail through because they have a majority and campaigned on doing this. So, yep. Don't need to talk too much about that. She also wants urgent measures to uplift Vancouver's Chinatown. I looked through this. It's basically just trying to work closer with Chinatown to address community complaints there around graffiti and public vandalism. They'll involve the police in it. There'll be a staff report in the new year. Like graffiti, I will say it is a major expense for business owners who are required to clean it up themselves. Yeah. Like, sucks for a business owner and they're suggesting uh relieving some fines or other levies on businesses deeply impacted it by that so there would at least be some offset there i don't think this is a bad idea i think it's relative it's fine it's Uh, good yeah lisa dominato wants an accessibility audit of all city-owned assets that seems fine but let's talk about dominato's big move Big move, big 100 police officer and mental health nurses move. And boy, are we shopping for a bargain. So this would be able to requisitioning and hiring of the centerpiece blob that comprised the rotten pit of the ABC platform. In spite of what succulent fruits may have been on the outside of it, this thing, I think, was an embarrassment for them, and yeah, they're still going ahead with it. 100 new police officers, 100 mental health nurses, basically, they want to hire them for $4.5 million uh, for the VPD officers and $1.5 million for nurses. And for those of you who math, you will notice that that is not very much. You mean we don't pay nurses 15 k a year? No. No. So, the what I've heard is that they're gonna, this is just some initial interim funding to start the process and they'll try to include more in the upcoming budget that they <laughs> figure it only requ- it only requires 20 million matthew oh yeah because apparently we're only paying people 100k a year and there's no external cost to additional staffing yeah i was gonna say this 1.5 million dollars might be enough to do the hiring process like that that's it yeah so very weird to see these tiny numbers in here i mean Ken Sim had been talking about like, this is like our day one thing. And like, they are starting the process, but it's very clear that we're not going to be having, and it always was, we're not going to have these 200 new people on the job 
for quite a while because that is just not a thing that happens quickly, even in the best case scenario. So I guess my reaction to this motion is, I, I guess, well done, City Council. Please continue to slow pedal this until you eventually uh, leave office. I'm willing to spend $1.5 million not doing something that would cost a bunch of money and be not particularly effective. And the final member motion to come forward from ABC Councillor New One, uh, Mike Klassen, and joined by Rebecca Bly, is the stopping the road tax motion. <laughs> This directs staff to stop any and all work that is underway implementing transportation pricing. And they note in the preamble that the Climate Emergency Action Plan did suggest staff could consider options around transportation pricing to recommend to council. Not that council has ever shown interest in endorsing that. And then if any staff are working on transportation pricing, they should find uh, other <laughs> tasks related to transportation policies. All right. So all... All you folks who have been working so hard on doing the road task that no one asked for, clearly no one wanted, and there was no appetite for, except, you know, by us. Uh, <laughs> thank you for your service, and I guess have fun on doing whatever else you were doing, because you probably weren't doing that much on this anyway. The, the best part buried in here is that they can still work on regional transportation pricing initiatives if Metrovan is working on them. <laughs> amazing all right like usually <sighs> i don't like council directing staff that explicitly but this is so trivial that whatever fine yeah who cares well that road task might have made it more difficult to get into downtown except it never was going to happen someone who actually is having some difficulties getting into somewhere is Christopher Richardson at the VSB. Yeah, this story was weird. I think we talked about it a bit during the election as ABC officially dropped him as a candidate, but it was after the ballot deadline. So his name still appeared with ABC Vancouver on the ballot. And apparently that was enough to rocket him to one of the, you know, seats on the Vancouver school board. And during the election, the reason that came up was because Vivian Krause, of all people, the person who was like obsessed with how climate charities were being funded by the U.S. to take down the Alberta oil sands, uh, she turned her eyes to this guy and found that he was the head of it, or you know, a director of a charity that lost its status and the Headwaters Foundation, and that deems him by the CRA an ineligible individual, which means he can't sit on the board of another charity because you're corrupt or you fucked up bad. Uh, this now is raising questions of, can he be a trustee for the school board, given the school board has some charitable arms in terms of its own funding foundations? And no one knows the answer, as far as I can tell. My, my suspicion is that, yes, absolutely, he can be a trustee, but it, it will be difficult for him to, or he just won't be able to serve on the, the other charities. Like that, that's my read on things. If you're elected, you're elected that there's no requirement that you'd be able to serve in these ex officio roles as like a condition of your election. The conditions of the election are the eligibility requirements as per the act. So, uh, he just won't be able to fill, fulfill some of those roles likely. Yeah. And I think historically, They've just been fully overlapped. 
because this school board just goes, all right, our trustees for our charity are our trustees elected, but now it, they might have to just drop his name on one filing. Yeah, basically, that's probably what will Which all becomes weird, but yeah, there's a lot of advice that the VSB needs to be act- reaching out to the CRA to make sure they don't like lose charitable status for the schools because the bad guy got elected. No offense, Christopher. You might be a lovely person who just got in a bad situation. This is just weird. Yep. Another Rocky Road to Municipal Office news, Amy Lubick, uh, who lost recently on Port Coquitlam City Council, was actually... Oh, yes. Port... port. All the same. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) In the Tri-Cities Municipality City Council... Insert which one here. She, after having initially lost, paid the $400 to engage in a judicial recount of a couple of polling stations. And it was found that after having lost by two votes on election day, she tied. Yeah, they found two more votes for her and the other guy, David Stewart, lost two votes. And yeah, 3,597 votes each. And a tie under the Local Government Act goes to the presiding judge randomly drawing a name out of a container to declare the winner, which went to Lubick. So say we all, I guess. I mean, this happened in Invermere. It happens a lot, actually. At least once per like cycle in the province. Yeah. And good for Amy Lubick. You, you followed your cut and challenged the legitimacy of the election when there were some questions. And it, as it turns out, you know, unlike some other elections where people are challenging the legitimacy of, uh, the margin was actually close enough that, you know, two votes could be lost. This is a counting error. We, we, you know, it just happens. And David Stewart uh, no longer has to explain the awkwardness of being the chief administrative officer of the District of North Vancouver and a counselor for Port Moody. Which are not technically a conflict. It's just weird to have both of those jobs simultaneously. It is weird. It would be weird. So I guess lucky him. He still has his day job. Uh, yeah. My, cons- my consolations. Like, you know, you ran, you almost won. You're not going to be a counselor. Thank you for your service. I was thinking about how weird municipal elections are being where we are seeing so many mayors elected with, you know, under 30% of the vote. Vancouver's, Surrey's, Winnipeg's mayor was just elected with under 30% of the vote. We're seeing people win by, you know, hat, names out of hats. Democracy, folks. It's a thing we say we do. <laughs> and finally, a story that is interesting, but I will not be commenting on for reasons that will be explained shortly. Ian. Yeah. Just sort of an update on that tiny lot we brought to the podcast a couple times that's on William Street. This is the nine-foot lot that was probably lost in a bet years ago and subdivided out, and now no one knows what to do with. Uh, Bryn Davidson of Lane Fab Homes had bought it and has been trying to do something with it. He's now come up with a plan for a three-story house that I think half of the width of which is a staircase to go up. It will have at least one bedroom on one of those floors. And he has filed his permits for it. There is a a development application sign on the front of his lot, which is almost as wide as his lot. 
And now it awaits further review by the city, likely including the Board of Variants, which you are on, Matthew, and you have no opinion in advance of hearing the application. That is correct. And I'm very interested just to see where this goes. Like, it's a neat design. All his designs are very neat, for sure. Something that won't be going anywhere is the train in Stanley Park. Sadly, it will not be running for the holidays. That's just the way things go. Yeah, this is the train that didn't work for Halloween, allegedly because of the park board's inability to keep it maintained. Uh, and because it still has not passed a provincial safety inspection, it's not going to drive around bright nights. It's just another sad chapter in the underfunding of rail infrastructure in the city. Moving along! <laughs> Make trains great again. Finally, we end every episode of the Cabby Report with a little tidbit from Vancouver's history that we call Vancouverada. Today, we are going to talk about Victory Square and the ceremonies thereat. So, the Remembrance State Service at Victory Square is one of the oldest, in fact, the oldest continuing annual ceremony in Vancouver. It began in 1924 and reflects respect and remembrance of sacrifices in the service of our country, past and present. They noted today, when I was at the ceremony, that next year was going to be the 99th anniversary of celebrations at Victory Square. Not, not that it would be like the 99th, but the 99th anniversary of. That's because basically during COVID, there were either very reduced or no ceremonies, depending. And so next year will be coming up, but not be the 100th anniversary. <laughs> The ceremonies are put on by the Vancouver Remembrance Day Committee, which is a volunteer civic committee that's supported by the city. They say this is the only city in Canada that does it this way, which they are proud of. It works, so fair enough. But it's always weird to go like, we're the only one in the world to do it this way. Must be <laughs> We must be doing something right. <laughs> we're the best practice that no one else has figured out. <laughs> Vancouver has, is the only city with a park board. <laughs> Doing our best. <laughs> this ceremony attracts Vancouver citizens to Victory Square, rain or shine, and has what they claim to be hundreds of thousands of television viewers across the country. They play Last Post Lament. There is a fly past in the program. They know that fly past is weather permitting. Changing of the guards, replaying a parade of veterans and other military units and associated groups and is in all, I think, a valuable part of the civic experience. It felt good to become coming together in a civic ceremony again after not having been able to for three years. This is really the only, like, there's no Canada Day ceremony. There's no, like, you know, People have a barbecue, but there's no like event. And uh, this is this is like one of the few acts of civic union that I think we participate in as a country, and it felt good to be able to do that again as part of a group to remember together. Indeed, and that draws us to the end of another episode of the Camby Report. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, we hope to be bringing you. Many interesting things respecting civic politics 
in the next months and years to come. For Leg and Boot Media, I'm Matthew Naylor. And I'm Ian Bushkin. Good day. That concludes the comedy section of this podcast. No, we have a little bit more. No, we do. We do it, actually.